Hello, everyone. Happy Wednesday. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I am your host of Killer Instinct. Today, we are talking about the unsolved murder of 15-year-old Chaim Weiss. Chaim lived in Long Beach, New York when he was murdered on November 1st, 1986. This was a highly requested case by you guys for a long time. So with that being said, let's just jump right on into it. So Chaim was a 15-year-old Orthodox Jewish student at the Yeshiva of Long Beach, New York, which essentially is kind of like a boarding school for the Orthodox Jewish community. Chaim was described by the people who knew him as very intelligent and well-liked. He did not have a lot of known enemies. His dad described him as very funny. He always had a bunch of jokes to tell, and his dad said that he was a gift of a son to have. Chaim also had his own bedroom at this boarding school. And he, from what I could tell and what I could read, he was the only one out of his entire building that had his own bedroom. Everyone else had either one roommate or two roommates, but because Chaim had reached such high academic achievements, they rewarded him or the school rewarded him with a bedroom to himself. As far as Chaim's experience at this school, he never complained about anything. He seemed to be overall pretty happy with the experience that he was having, at least he was on the outside. He never expressed any unhappiness or that he was upset or he wasn't enjoying himself at the school. For the most part, he made it seem like he really enjoyed it. But that all came to an end on November 1st of 1986 when Chaim was found dead in his dorm room by his dorm room counselor. According to some of the students who were also in that building, they say that once the dorm room counselor found Chaim, he yelled at everyone, all of the other students in the building, and told them all to get out immediately, and that is when the police were called. Once the police had arrived, they were able to conclude that Chaim had died after being struck over the head with an unknown object. They also looked around Chaim's room and that's when they realized there was no sign of a robbery or any sign of a struggle, which is what made them conclude that they believed that Chaim was asleep when he was murdered. So the main detective on this case is named Detective Don Daly, I believe is how you pronounce it. And there were a couple interesting things that Detective Daly had noticed when he went to see Chaim's body. So the way that Chaim was found, he was found laying on his floor and police believe that Chaim's body was moved twice after he was murdered. They believe that it was moved from the bed to the floor and then from one spot of the floor to essentially where his body was found at a different spot of the floor. They also discovered that Chaim's bedroom window was left open and there had been a candle lit. In the candle, when they found it, it was sealed with something, and they never clarified what it was sealed with, what it, what covered it, but they did say that it was sealed. And a couple days later, there was another candle placed in Chaim's bedroom that the police found, and no one to this day knows who put that candle there, where it came from, if it was someone who was related to the murder who placed the candle there, or if it was an innocent person trying to pay respect. No one knows where the candle came from, but it is a little odd. So because of the moving of the body and the window being open, police really started to believe that whoever murdered Chaim had to be accustomed with Orthodox 
Judaism, and I will tell you why. So, which I do want to point out, by the way, I am not super familiar with this religion or the customs of their religion. I am just stating what I was able to find in my research. So in Orthodox custom, it is necessary that after someone dies, you move their body from the bed to the floor so they can be at their lowest and coolest point. It is also necessary that you open the window in the bedroom so that the spirit can be freed. And thirdly, you also light a memorial candle. So because of those things, it really did point to police that whoever did this probably was customed with the Orthodox Judaism traditions as far as when someone passes away. But at first, police had a really hard time trying to talk to the students and the faculty at the school. No one really wanted to speak. But after prying a little bit, the detectives were able to get some of the students and faculty to talk. Unfortunately, though, it led to nothing. So I want to talk about Chaim's dorm room building for a second because this dorm room building was very standard and very basic. There's one way into this dorm room and there is one way out. There is one way to get into Chaim's bedroom and then there is one way out. This is not a complex dorm room like they have now where you need to have like the key cards and the different things. Like it was very standard. You go in, you come out. And also you have to keep in mind that whoever came into the dorm room had to have passed multiple kids and other students who went to the school. So it had to be someone who wouldn't stand out. You couldn't have someone walking in with a knife in their hand just through the hallways and no one would see it. It would have had to be someone who blended in well because mind you, the night before this was Halloween and police rolled out pretty quickly that this was anything like Halloween prank related that went totally south and wrong. They really think that it had something, it was a personal attack more so. Police also thought that whoever went and murdered Chaim had to have known where he was and had to have known where his room was because think about it, it's a dorm room building. There are tons of rooms everywhere. The likelihood that someone would just so happen to stumble upon the only room that had just one student in it is very, very rare. Detective Daly's next step in this investigation was to try and piece together what happened the night before Chaim was found murdered. So like I said, the night prior to this was October 31st, so that is Halloween. The detectives were able to figure out that Chaim left his last class with his friends that night and attended some religious services, and afterwards he went back to his dorm room. Several hours after that, some of Chaim's friends said that they remembered seeing him reading a book in the hallway, and that was pretty late. It was about 1 a.m. and that is the last time Chaim is known to be seen is around 1 a.m. on November 1st. Like I said, no student or anyone really reported anything suspicious that night. No one said that they heard anything odd. But I do want to point out that there was one student who said that he was asleep in his bedroom that night and someone had quickly opened and shut the door and his lights were off in his bedroom, but he just assumed that it was his roommate. So he didn't think anything of it, but it wasn't his roommate. So could that have been someone who was trying to get to Chaim? Could it have been someone who thought they went into the right room and turns out it wasn't, we don't really know. No one was really coming forward to police with any accurate or helpful information, but police did end up polygraphing 40 students and multiple different teachers, and there was no useful information found out of that. So now I want to talk about the months leading up to Chaim's death, because here personally is where 
I think true colors really get shown and there are a lot of telling events that happened. So James' father is named Anton. According to Anton, he said that the previous July, so to set up a timetable, obviously James was murdered in November, like I said, and I'm talking about that past July. And in that past July and in the summers prior, James would attend the school's summer camp. His father said he never had a problem with the summer camp before. He never said that he didn't like the summer camp. He seemed to actually really enjoy it. But on this particular day in July, Anton remembers that Chaim had called him crying, which had never happened before, saying that he didn't like the camp and he wanted to come home. Anton was actually away on a vacation at that point. So he told Chaim to just hang in there until he got back from his vacation and then the two of them could sort things out. So once Anton came back from his vacation, he went and visited Chaim at the camp and he said that Chaim seemed to be fine. It didn't seem like anything was off. He was happy again. And so Anton just kind of chalked it up to possibly having a rough day and he didn't think too much of it. And Chaim still stayed at the camp throughout the entirety of the summer. So there is a principal at this school and his name is Rabbi Avram Cooper. And I am unable for the life of me to find a picture of this man. I have no idea what he looks like. I wish I could put a picture up if you're watching me on YouTube. I wish I could put a picture up to show you what he looks like. I am unable to find it anywhere. But he was the principal at this school. And Anton remembers that just weeks after the crying incident had happened at the summer camp, he remembers the rabbi calling Anton asking to speak with Chaim. Now, Chaim at this point had gone to Europe to visit his grandparents. It was like the second half of his summer. So he went to Europe to see his family members and Anton didn't go. He stayed back. So when this rabbi called him, he was a little thrown off and asked why he wanted to talk to him. But the rabbi didn't really give any information. He just asked when he was going to be back, when Chaim was going to be back. And that is when Anton told him he's going to be back in just like a week or so. And so the rabbi asked if he could call him then. And Anton said, sure. And so that was the end of that conversation. And then about a week later, the rabbi ended up calling again and asked to speak with Chaim again. But Chaim still wasn't home at this point. He was still in Europe. But by the time that Chaim came home, the parents of Chaim, as well as this rabbi, made an appointment for Chaim to go over to the rabbi's house for the two of them to speak together. See, this is just where it gets super weird to me. Okay, we're going to take a short break, but we will be right back with more of the Killer Instinct podcast. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. All right, you guys, welcome back. 
So Chaim ends up being driven over by his parents to the rabbi's house. And that is when the rabbi asked his parents to wait in the car outside and just send Chaim inside. And the parents agreed to it. Anton said that Chaim was inside the house for about 10 minutes before he came outside and got back into the car. And when Anton asked Chaim what the two of them had spoken about, Chaim said he didn't want to talk about it and he got really quiet. So Anton waited a little bit and then asked Chaim again later that day what had happened and Chaim said he really didn't want to talk about it and he just got quiet and that's when Anton said that he stopped asking any questions. He just figured that Chaim was, if he wanted to talk about it, he would and Anton says that that is a decision that he now heavily regrets. All I really know about this rabbi from what I was able to find and trust me, I tried to look. This rabbi is now retired and living in Lakewood, New Jersey and there was a news station that actually went out and tried to ask him questions and he just responded with he doesn't know anything and he doesn't want to talk about it and he has no answers. So an interesting thing about this case is that to this day, there are no people of interest in this case. There are no suspects, but there were a couple of theories that were floating around that have since been shut down, but I still want to mention them to you anyways. That way you get the full picture. So there was a theory that Chaim had been murdered by the school's old janitor. I saw some sources that said that Chaim and this janitor had gotten into a little bit of an argument. I saw some sources that said they didn't, so I'm not really sure which one is completely accurate, but this theory was quickly shot down by the authorities and this janitor was no longer considered a person of interest. There was also a mentally ill homeless man that had been questioned multiple times about this because he would hang out in the area of the school and all of the kids knew about him and some people thought that maybe he was the one who did this, but that just kind of brings me around to think how would he just so happen to stumble into Chaim's room? He had to go to the third floor and specifically single Chaim out. This is someone who knew that Chaim would be in his room where his bedroom was. It's just not really believable that this was just a random attack. And again, like we mentioned earlier, this person would have to have walked by multiple students in order to get to Chaim's bedroom. And so the fact that no one would report having seen him or random stranger just walking through the building, someone would have probably said something had they seen him walking through the building up to Chaim's bedroom. So after the police were unable to figure out any information or really rule someone in as a person of interest or a possible suspect, the case ended up closing. But then in 2013, they reopened it, which was amazing. And the investigators announced in 2015 that they believe that a student or faculty member was responsible for Chames' death. But they did also add to that that even though they do believe that it was a student or faculty member, they have no idea who it could have been. There was also a theory that I want to mention because even though I don't think it's very plausible and it has no evidence to back it up, it was mentioned several times, so I'm going to mention it to you. So on the morning of November 1st, there was a jogger who was running by this pier and the pier was pretty close to the school. And this jogger says that he remembered seeing a student walking along the pier at about 7 a.m. and said that the student just looked very out of place and the jogger got a really weird feeling from it. So he was the one who reported that to the police. And to this day, the police have no idea who that student was or what he was doing by the pier. But 
that it's never been proved that he had anything to do with James' death. Anton ended up suing the school for $15 million for not keeping his son safe. And I do know that they came to a settlement, but I'm not sure about how much Anton got from that. A few years after James' death, James' family ended up getting a card on Easter that was directed and mailed to James. And it was a card that says, know what happens to chickens when they get too old to lay Easter eggs? They die. Happy Easter. And then die is spelled D-Y-E instead of D-I-E for some sort of Easter pun. But, you know, it is a little weird that the card would be directed to Chame. And we have no idea if this card was sent by someone who was involved in the murder or not. There are a lot of people that like to get themselves involved into situations that they are not involved in whatsoever just so they can feel like they're a part of something, even when it is something as sick and twisted as this. Another big theory here that I think, and from what I've seen a lot of people are pointing at, is that this was a death based off of an authoritative figure. And that authoritative figure was Rabbi Cooper. Unfortunately, it really isn't uncommon for authoritative figures in boarding schools and things along those lines to take advantage of the kids that they're supposed to be, you know, take looking out for and protecting. They end up doing the exact opposite, and it's really not that uncommon. And the fact that Rabbi Cooper asked to speak to Chaim and then had Chaim come over to his house and only Chaim can come inside. And first of all, you know, it kind of, obviously you have to kind of question the parents as to why you would let your son go into a room by himself with an authoritative figure like that. But at the same time, obviously you don't want to think that someone like that has the capability of doing horrendous things. We don't know what the relationship between Chaim and Rabbi Cooper was, whether it was physical, sexual, we're not sure. However, with the events that led up to his death and Rabbi Cooper's extreme interest in Chaim, it really does lead you to believe that there is a great possibility that Chaim was being sexually assaulted and abused by this rabbi. It's an authoritative figure. A lot of times kids completely become submissive when it comes to authoritative figures, especially in a religious sense, I feel like. More so when it comes to religion. There is a lot of bribery and manipulation and grooming that happens. And sometimes kids get worried that their parents are going to get mad at them or that their parents aren't going to believe them. And like I said, I hate to bring this back up, but especially when it's a religious figure, a lot of people think that their parents are not going to believe them. And because this person is viewed as such a high power, it really mess with a kid's mind. And I think that it's very possible that that is what happened here. And then maybe you think, okay, well, why did he kill him? If we're following this theory of this rabbi was the one who murdered Chaim, why did he do that? And it could have been for multiple reasons. It could have been that Chaim told him that he didn't want to be doing this anymore and that he was going to tell someone. Or maybe Chaim saw something that he wasn't supposed to see. Or maybe Chaim saw someone else being abused. Or maybe the rabbi had a secret that Chaim knew about and that is why the rabbi wanted to speak to him so much. I do think that what Ever happened really did stem at that summer camp. For Chaim to have never had a problem at any of the camps in any of the schools, at least vocalized, he never vocalized any problem. And all of a sudden in July, his dad gets this crying phone call from his son saying that he wants to come home. I really do think that something happened then. And also to give you a timeline, that meeting with the rabbi happened six to eight weeks, around six to eight weeks before Chaim's murder. Maybe he's been looked into more behind the scenes. I have to imagine that he has been but the fact that 
There is such little information about who this man is, what happened between him and Shame, what the relationship was. It really is very questionable in my opinion and it doesn't look good. My thoughts on this whole case is that I do believe that Chaim was murdered by someone who was affiliated with the school. More specifically, I do believe that it had something to do with the rabbi. My only question is if anyone saw the rabbi walking through the building that night or if the rabbi had someone else do it. That really is my only question. Was it him or was it someone else who was instructed to do so by the rabbi? That's a possibility too. This family needs answers. It's it's time. It was time when this happened. Chaim deserves justice. His family deserves justice. And the fact that nothing has been done about this, and I'm not saying for a lack of trying, I'm sure the police and the detectives really did try to hone in on this case. And I'm really happy that it's been reopened again because hopefully now we can really get some more answers on it. But I really think it's super important to just spread the word on it, see if people will start talking again. Anton has said that he hopes that now because the students at that school when Chaim was there are probably now a little bit older they're in their like 40s ish he hopes that someone will come forward and say something and that someone will give a piece of valuable information even if they didn't think it was valuable information at the time you really never know i'm so interested to see what you guys have to say about this case so definitely let me know if you're watching me online let me know in the comments below if you're listening to me on my podcast make sure you email me either at killerinstinctpodcast at gmail.com that's where you can also send in your suggestions or you can just DM me on my social medias. It's just at Savannah Brimer all the way around. And with that being said, thank you guys so much for listening in to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah. We make episodes every Wednesday here on Killer Instinct and you are not going to want to miss them. So make sure you hit that subscribe button. That way you are always notified whenever we upload a new episode. That is all for me today, you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. I will see you next week. And until then, stay safe.